Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. In this message series that we're wrapping up today, we've been asking this question, is it trending or is it true? Now, hashtags, of course, will tell us what is trending at any moment in our culture. They, they are the labels that are used primarily on social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And when it comes to finding topics of interest to us, boy, hashtags are really helpful. But not necessarily helpful when it comes to understanding topics. And today, we're going to wrap this series up by looking at our final hashtag, which is follow your heart. Whenever we're facing an important decision, this is the most common piece of advice that's given in our culture. The idea is that our heart is kind of like an internal compass that always knows the right direction to go from any point of decision in our life. Now, of course, we can't read this compass visually. Its instructions are given to us primarily through our emotions. So as we often say, it, it feels right. My, my heart's telling me that this is the right thing to do. It feels right, and we go ahead and make that decision. I spent the first semester of my college years missing primarily my high school girlfriend. So during that semester, I decided to follow my heart, and I left the college that I was in, and I transferred to a school 2,400 miles away that was close to her. And at Christmas break, I called her to tell her what I had done, and only at that time did she then inform me that she had, in fact, been dating another guy all semester. <laughs> I was devastated. But what shocked me most is my heart had never once warned me about what was really going on. I mean, I, I had heard what many of you probably have heard, is that especially when it comes to romance, when it's the right one, you'll just know. Well, I knew. I was convinced only to find out I didn't know. Now, why didn't my heart protect me? Why didn't my heart tell me what was really going on? It's because I didn't know. And since then, I've uncovered many lies that my heart has been fooled by. Now, each one of them, when well, my heart said, yes, this is right. I mean, I bought a car from the kindest man only to find out there was a lie behind that smile. Then I bought a house in the quietest neighborhood, I thought, only discover that it was in the flight path of the local Air Force base. My heart didn't know that. I've followed my heart into investments that have lost me money and into attitudes that have done me a lot of damage. And I know I'm not alone on this. Probably every one of you, to some degree in this room, have been lied to by your heart. You have followed your heart into a mistake or maybe into some form of hurt or devastation. And the truth is, we really don't need to be told to follow our hearts, because it's what we all do naturally. I mean, in fact, that's part of what makes us human. We're not driven by instinct like the rest of the animal kingdom, but we are driven primarily by choice. And the heart is where all of this free choosing occurs. We carry out the decisions that are first formed and reside in our hearts, and then implemented in our decisions. The lie of this hashtag is thinking that our hearts automatically and always know what's best. There are, in fact, two more important questions that we must ask before we just go off and follow whatever our hearts are pointing to. The first question is this. What, what is our environment? What's the environment that we're making these decisions in? I want to show you two very different environments as an example. The first picture is of people trying to decide what flavor of ice cream to order. You probably recognize this is a, 
Cold Stone. And so there's a lot of great flavors, uh, a lot of amazing toppings that can be mixed together. And if you've ever been to Cold Stone or any ice cream store, you know, you've got to make a decision. Is it chocolate or is it strawberry or is it butter pecan or one of those kind of new flavors that they've got? But you've got to make a decision. That's one environment. Now let me show you a second environment. The second is of soldiers trying to decide how to advance against the enemy in Baghdad without getting killed. Now if you are making an ice cream decision, back to that scene, well, you just go ahead and follow your heart. <laughs> I mean, it's not a big deal. You know, you may be disappointed, but you can go back, follow your heart, make a better decision. It's no big deal. But if you're in a war zone, you know, if you just decide to follow your heart, you might get yourself killed. And I say this because the two environments are different in two very important ways. One is a friendly environment. The other is not a friendly environment. One is a pretty simple environment. Ice cream decisions, not that. I mean, I know they have a lot of toppings, but really, it's not that complex. The other environment, that's well, very complicated. A lot of moving parts and lots at stake. So let's look at these two environment questions. Are we living in a friendly or an unfriendly world? Are we living in a safe or a dangerous world? Because that conclusion has a real impact on how and when and whether or not we should follow our heart. You know, after 9-11, a lot of people joined the armed forces. And the reason was because their hearts were stirred to defend this country in the wake of that act of terrorism. But even though their hearts were heading in this direction, they were not just given a gun and a plane ticket to the front lines. The reason is because the enemy has developed tactics and skill, and the environment is unfamiliar. And so they went to boot camp first, and most of them have gone through a lot more training than just boot camp. And their hearts didn't instruct them how to survive in that hostile environment. They were trained. Before they followed their hearts, they were trained. But you might say, well, we're not in a war zone. We're not in Baghdad. We're not in Afghanistan. We're surrounded by friendlies. I mean, we have a local cold stone. We, we, it's right over here. We just go up to there. So we can just follow our hearts, right? Well, this is what Ephesians 6.12 says about our environment. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not just what we can see. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yes, there are, of course, friendly people all around us. But that's not all that's true of our environment. I mean, there are unfriendly people. Of course, we know there's lots of unfriendly people around. We also know that there are dangerous people out there. And we are ourselves facing a lot of struggles, just personally, as we go through life. But there's more than that going on. We are not just at a big ice cream counter every day trying to figure out what flavor of happiness we'd like to sample today. That, that's not what's true of our environment. We're fighting against some things we can't see. I mean, we know some of the things that are invisible that we're fighting against. We're fighting maybe against some dark emotions. We're fighting against dark impulses and desires. We may be fighting financial challenges. Maybe we can see that a little better. We're 
struggling with difficult family members and decisions. Maybe we're, chal we're facing challenging coworkers and a difficult environment there. But behind all of these struggles that we can see are spiritual forces, this verse says, of evil that we cannot see. And it's these unseen forces that are, that are often wrapped up in and driving agendas behind the problems that we're facing. And this verse indicates that the, this invisible army is pretty well organized. I mean, some are called rulers. Some are called authorities. Others are called powers of this dark world. These are not just three ways to say the same thing. This is really like saying some are like generals, commanding thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Some are like lieutenants that command hundreds. Some are just frontline soldiers that are assigned to a particular battlefield. Maybe the battlefield has your name on it. Maybe the battlefield has my name on it. And they're assigned to do battle against us. And so we often think, boy, we're having a really bad day, and we are. But it turns out there's actually more going on behind the bad day or the bad circumstance. We are facing a lot of unfriendlies who are trying to get us to give up on life, who are trying really to get us to give up on God. And short of that, if they can get us just to waste today, then that's a victory for today. Just don't do anything that God wants you to do today. Just blow this day off for one of many different reasons. That's a victory. And then blow off tomorrow and then waste the day after that. And you line up enough of those days and maybe they can get us to waste our entire life on something that really doesn't matter. That's the environment that we're, we're in. And it's an enemy that doesn't shoot bullets, but thoughts and emotions. What this verse is saying, kind of in our current understanding, is we're living in spiritual Afghanistan, not spiritual Huntington Beach. Now, that makes it unwise for us just to kind of go wandering around wherever our heart, wherever our emotions are telling us to go. The reason is because there's landmines out there. there there's decisions we can make that can really do us and other, other people a lot of harm. So we've we got to think about that before we just go following our heart. The second environment question is, is this environment a simple one or a complex one? In other words, are we, are, are we attempting something that's really hard with a lot of intricacy to it, or are we trying to do something that's pretty easy, pretty simple? I mean, ice cream is easy, not a complex decision. Life, well, that's, that's a challenge. Marriage, that's a real challenge to put a marriage together over time. Raising kids, wow, you're, just, you're not graduate-level complexity. I mean, it's, that's very complex because they're always changing and things are going on, and it's really complex. Proverbs 14, verse 15 says, The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. They don't just follow their heart. They, they, they put some thought into these things. Now, our culture would agree with the first three words in this verse, the simple believe. The idea in our culture is that it's, it's the naive who believe. It's the naive who have faith. It's, it's those who really don't think intently and logically about life. They just kind of believe in God and 
jump off the cliff of faith and they've kind of decided to stop thinking about things. But the problem in this verse is not the word believe. The problem is the word anything. They, they believe anything. The assumption that's embedded in here is everybody believes. They believe different things. The important thing is that you figure out what's worth believing and you reject the things that are not worth believing. You see, the simple fact that life is complex means that we can't know everything we need to know. And if we can't know everything we need to know, then we're eventually going to have to trust someone and something to help us navigate life. We have to decide who to trust, who to believe, whether it's for something as simple as fixing my car, because how complex are cars? Way, way more complex than I got time to figure out. So rather than learning everything about cars, I have to decide what mechanic am I going to believe? Who am I going to trust? And this goes across life. When my wife and I were raising our two kids, we figured out pretty soon, we don't know enough. Now, we did everything we could to learn, but we figured out pretty quick, we need to figure out, well, who do we believe? So we looked around at the parents whose kids seemed to be the kind of kids that we might want to have our kids be, and we learned from them. And we learn from God's Word. You've got to decide who you're going to believe because this is a complex word. You see, the, the heart was designed to decide who to trust. It was never designed to be an independent source to follow. In that way, our heart really is more like a trailer than it is like a car. You know, here's a picture of a trailer and a car. The heart is the trailer, not the car. You know, the hashtag follow your heart says the heart is the car, but that's not the way our hearts were designed. Our hearts were designed to be hitched up to something, to believe, to attach to something. We all have to believe. The problem is, if you're simple-minded, you're going to, over time, believe anything. You'll believe this, then you believe that, and then this person, then that person, which over time, if you believe anything, it's really kind of like believing nothing. You just keep going in circles. And when you believe anything, it's kind of like asking the trailer to do the pulling, switching the position. Now, if you see a trailer moving down the road on its own, what's your move? Get out of the way, right? Why? Because trailers don't have steering wheels or brakes on their own. If the environment is complex, then we need to be able to steer. We need to be able to go, oh, no, let's go this way now. Oh, no, we've got to go this way. And the heart doesn't come with a steering wheel. It comes with a trailer hitch, not a steering wheel. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I got tickets to watch the U.S. Swimming Championships that were going on in Irvine. We've uh, always loved swimming in the Summer Olympics, and this was our chance to see Olympic-level competition uh, just close by. So we had a lot of fun. There were a lot of Olympians there, names we recognized from when we watched the last Olympics. So let me ask you this, is Olympic swimming, level swimming, is that a simple or a complex environment? That's complex. The reason you know it's complex is none of us can do it at that level. And it was one of my, our favorite parts was to listen to the interviews that were conducted by 
those who won their particular race. And one of the common questions that were asked by the interviewer was, how were you able to swim so fast today? Now, a number of answers were given, but you know what the top answer was given? This was the top answer. I just decided to go out and have fun. And I remember thinking every time, that's all you did. <laughs> well, how come that doesn't work for me? I mean, can I just go out and have fun and suddenly find myself on the Olympic team? Now, in fairness to them, it's an interview, and they don't have much time, and they've all learned the things you're supposed to say, and that's one of them. But that's, that's too short of an answer for the complexity of what was going on. I mean, that's appropriate when it comes to ice cream. So how did you have such a... How did you pick that flavor? I decided to have fun. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But not if you're talking about complex environments. Another thing that was often said, and you, you've seen this especially in professional sports, a lot in the Olympics you'll see this, is uh, the person being interviewed would turn to the stands where we were sitting, and they would say something like this, you know, let this be a lesson to all the kids out there that you can do anything you set your heart on. Have you heard that one? Yeah, we hear that all the time. And my thought every time I heard that was, I've just watched 10 heats of eight people in each of those heats, 80 people, and then the final. Why are we not interviewing any of those 79 other people? I mean, why don't we interview the person that got 58th and have them turn to the crowd and say, I just want you to know that, you know what, if you set your heart on it, you can come in 58th. <laughs> we, don't ever, we don't ever interview them. Nobody wants to hear from them. And every, everybody knows. Again, I understand this is an interview. This is just kind of what you say. But the thought is, really, that's all it took for you to become an Olympian? Just go out and have fun and follow your heart into the pool? I mean, it certainly does take a strong desire to compete, but I know, and they know, it took a lot more than that. They didn't just follow their hearts. I know for sure they followed their coaches. I know for sure they followed a really strict training regimen. I know for sure they follow a really strict diet. I mean, you don't get bodies like that eating cold stone, you know. <laughs> so I know they didn't just follow their heart. And this is the problem with hashtags. They cannot adequately represent the complexity of life. But it leaves us with this sense, all these little phrases like, you know, just go out and have fun, just follow your heart, leaves us with a sense that life is pretty simple. When in fact, boy, it's very complicated. And we, this is why we need coaches, why we need the help of other people who are ahead of us in whatever the endeavor is. But what we really need most is a source of truth that can help us navigate the complexity of life, a source of truth that's bigger than us. And that brings us to the second big question that we've got to ask before we just follow our heart. And that is, what is our reference point? In other words, what are we hooking the trailer of our heart to? Is the truth bigger than us or is it not bigger than us? Is the truth internal or does it exist outside of me? Is it external? Because if it's internal, well, then I, it makes sense for me to follow my heart. But if the truth exists independent of me, what that means is it is there whether I know it or not, whether I like it or not, whether I do it or not, it exists. It's real. 
It exists outside of me. If it's bigger than me, well, then that needs to be my reference point, not my heart. Revelation 12, verse 9 says this, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. This is talking about the end of Satan's influence in this world. And it identifies the purpose that Satan has had, together with all of his generals and lieutenants and sergeants and privates and corporals under him. It indicates that the whole purpose of his endeavor and the purpose that he's always been operating under is to lead the entire world astray, one person at a time. How does that happen? Well, one of the important words to understand in this statement is the word leads. The New Testament is written in the Greek language, and the, the Greek word here that is translated lead is the word planeo. It's where we get the word planet from. It means to wonder. The ancients called the planets wanderers, planeos, because, well, they wander through the night sky. They're very different than stars. In fact, I want to show you an image or a graphic of the path of Mars during six months in this year. This is Mars up against the unmovable stars, the constellations. Now, they move through the sky because the Earth is rotating, but they don't change. They're fixed. But here's Mars coming in, doing a loop, and then heading out over six months. And this is just what every planet does. The planets are moving. That's why they're called the wanderers. This is why, before GPS, sailors would navigate not by the planets, but by the stars. Because if you've got a navigational fix based on the stars, and you checked again the next night, you could stay on track. But if you locked in on a planet, and you checked again the next night, that planet had moved a little bit, and a little bit more, and you just do circles in the ocean and never get to your destination. And this is the image of what Satan is trying to do. His goal is to lead the whole world astray, literally to planet the whole world astray by getting us to lock in on and navigate by something that's like a planet, by something that just keeps moving. What is it that wanders like a planet through this life? Well, what people think is right and wrong is always a moving target. I mean, pick the culture, pick the time, and you've got a different opinion. I mean, in our own culture, things are really moving pretty rapidly right now about some stuff that 10 years ago our culture didn't think was wrong or did think was wrong, and now it says, no, it's not wrong, it's right. But this has always been true of culture. It's a moving target, what people think is right and what people think is wrong. The other moving target is whatever we want next in this life. I mean, what I wanted in my 20s, I don't care about that anymore. I got some things I want in my 50s. It's the same with you. There's always something next that, well, it would really be great if we could accomplish this or we could get that. It just keeps moving. And at the center of all of this movement is the heart. Our hearts are always moving. I mean, we feel this way about a topic, and then we feel that way about a topic. We want this, and then that sits in the garage for the rest of our life, and we want this. So if we decide to follow our hearts, what's happened is we've just decided 
to fall for the planet trap. So how do we stop wondering and start navigating by the fixed stars of God's truth? Why don't I share with you some very helpful advice from a person whose name is Joshua in the Old Testament portion of the Bible. Joshua was the leader who followed Moses, the leader of Israel after Moses. And Joshua took over the leadership after Moses died, and he had a tremendous challenge on his hand. He had to lead over 2 million people who were currently living in the desert. I mean, just trying to keep 2 million people alive in that hostile environment, that is a leadership challenge that is very complex. So at the very beginning of the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua tells everyone and informs us that this is how you navigate through life. Here's what he says, Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law, God's words, the Bible, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. He says there's, very, there's three very important things. If you're going to navigate by the stars of God's truth rather than the planets of whatever your heart's locked in on right now. The first is you've got to talk about the Bible. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. What's most interesting to me about that is I would have thought it would have said mind. But it says mouth. Why mouth? Why is it important to, to speak, to verbalize, and talk about the Bible? Why not just read it? Well, it's because when we talk, it benefits both us, the one who's talking, and the one who's listening. First, the one who's talking. Who usually understands a topic better, the person who's presenting the topic or the person who's listening to the presentation? It's usually the person that's presenting it. Not because they're smarter, but because it requires a lot more understanding to explain something to somebody else than it does just to listen and kind of nod your head. I mean, you could zone in and out, and who knows what you're thinking. But if you're talking, you can't zone in and out. You've got to focus. You've got to understand. And so what this is saying, in part, is, is if you never talk about the Bible to anybody, part of what that means is you probably don't understand it very well. Now, you're not going to understand everything, but take some part of the Bible understand it well enough where you can actually talk about it to somebody else. Not as the expert, but intelligently talk about something that has struck you that you want to share with somebody else. Not only does talking benefit the one who speaks, it also benefits the one who listens. A week ago, my wife talked to me. She read this verse to me out of God's Word. Here's what she read, Second Chronicles 32, verse 1. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. I know you're thinking, huh? So let me give you a little context. We were sitting at that moment in a hotel room in Tyler, Texas. This was a week ago, last Thursday. We were there in Tyler to see one of the top doctors in the nation about a lung disease that recently had been found in Rebecca's lungs. Now, it is a non-contagious relative of tuberculosis that requires 18 months of intense antibiotics. Now, she has been responding well to the treatment, but, you know, it's been a challenging few months for us and a scary few months for us as they were trying to figure out what this was. 
And when she read that verse, it put into words something that both of us had been struggling with in our hearts. And here's what the struggle was. I could verbalize it this way. God, after all that we have so faithfully done, why does this kind of thing keep happening? I know we're not perfect. We may completely faithful, but we really have tried to live a life that's pleasing to God. And then this kind of thing keeps happening. I mean, why all of my eye surgeries a couple years ago? Why my prostate cancer last year and surgery? And now this? I mean, just rising in our heart was this, God, what's going on? This isn't right. Because if you read this verse, the first part of it, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, how would you write the rest of the verse? Things just got better and better and more amazing because he was so amazing. I mean, that's, that's the way we think. That, you know, we follow God and he makes things amazing. And so this was rising our heart. And then 45 minutes, literally 45 minutes before our appointment, as Rebecca was just sitting down on one side of the room and I was sitting on the other side of the room, I was doing my time in God's Word. She was doing her time in God's Word. She was just reading the next chapter in the Bible reading plan that she is currently on. And she read this verse. It was the next thing. And God spoke to her and then to me as she talked to me about it. This is what God was saying to us. This is not about you doing something wrong or about me doing something wrong. This is the way things are in this broken world. You're you're not alone in this. There's a long history of people like Hezekiah who have been faithful to me, and then the king of Assyria came and attacked. Right after all of this faithfulness. This is a war. And the way enemies are in war, they don't say, oh, you've been a soldier, a good soldier for 30 years? Well, I'm not going to shoot at you. That's not the way it goes. And it's going to go on for a long time. And what God said is, just like I did with Hezekiah, I'm going to walk with you through this. I encourage you to read the rest of this chapter, see what God did. It's very encouraging to us. Now, if you can explain to me how this, the timing of this, this verse, 45 minutes in Tyler, Texas, if you can explain to me how that's just a coincidence, well, then I've got a whole, whole lot more like it that I'd like you to try to explain away. Because this isn't the only time this has ever happened to her or to me. Now, just to be clear, it doesn't happen every day that we read the Bible, but boy, it happens a lot. Now, if we had just followed the moving planet of our own hearts on this matter, we would have gotten more and more discouraged. And worse, we would have gotten more and more bitter against God. I tell you, there is, there is nothing like looking up at the fixed stars of God's eternal word and getting direction for the here and now. There's, there's nothing like that. This is one of the reasons why we have growth groups at Seabreeze. I mean, Dale talked about sign-ups are beginning today. This is why we do growth groups. It's not because we're all looking for something to do. We've got a lot to do. But it's because we need to talk about the Bible. 
So we gather in groups of, you know, maybe 10, maybe 15 for about, you know, 90 minutes once a week for 10 weeks each round to talk about God's Word. Now, to be clear, you don't have to talk, but it's really helpful if you do. You'll benefit. So I would encourage you, you know, get out the back of that connection card and pick one of these. If you've never done this, just try it this semester. I don't know what's going to happen, but my strong hunch is that you're going to get some direction that you really, really need. Maybe you're thinking, oh, this semester is just going to be crazy, and you're looking for things to cut, and this is one of the things you said, you know what, not this semester. Maybe, maybe that's what you have to do. I don't know. But let me just push back a little bit and say, just consider that maybe the thing you do not need to cut out of your schedule is, is checking in with God's Word in the company of other people. Maybe the thing you, you really need most is, is GPS as you navigate this busy semester from God. It's your schedule. You decide. But I, w- I would encourage you to sign up. So let's talk about the Bible. The next one is think about the Bible. Joshua says, meditate on it day and night. Why why do we need to meditate? Well, have you ever been given a friend a ride to their home and all of a sudden realized, oh, I'm driving to my home? Yeah, why do we do that? Well, it's because we drive to our home all the time. And the repeated accident of driving to our home creates a pattern in our mind that we just, well, we go on autopilot, we just follow it without really thinking. And to override that pattern, you have to keep thinking about the new destination. I'm not going home. I'm taking my friend to their home. You've got to keep thinking. Now, this not only happens in guiding a car, but also in guiding a life. You know, we, we all develop patterns of thought, patterns in our heart. And if we're going to head in a different direction, if God's Word says, you know, you've always kind of headed in this direction, but this really is what you need to do in this situation. We have to keep thinking about it to keep doing that, to head in that direction. That's called meditation. We've got to keep thinking about it. How often should we meditate on God's Word? What does it say here? Day and night. Now, just to be clear, it doesn't say all day and all night. That's impossible. We've got a lot of other things we've got to think about. But definitely more than once a day. And the reason is because we can't just set a new course for following God and have that course just lock in place. The most helpful tool that I've found in doing this is memorizing verses in the Bible. If you've not done this or if you've done it in the past and aren't doing it now, I would encourage you to consider to do this. You know, you take a verse in the Bible that has been a help to guide you and you memorize it. That allows you to bring it to mind throughout the day. I want to recommend a, an app for your phone that I found to be very helpful on this. It's called Scripture Typer App. It's a, an app that helps keep track of and memorize verses in the Bible. In fact, it's got different lists if you want to start on different topics of suggested verses to memorize. I would encourage you to, to check it out if you want to do this. It's been very helpful for me. The third thing Joshua says about navigating by the stars of God's Word is then we need to do what the Bible says. So we talk about it, we think about it, and we have to be sure we actually do it, follow the directions. He says, so that you may be careful to do 
How many things? Everything. Everything that God says. Everything written in it. Why do we need to do everything? Why can't we just do some things? Well, it's because we're navigating. Let me give you an example. If, if you're traveling from here to Orange County Airport right after this service, you've know, you got a flight, you're heading out, you have eight decisions to make, eight directions to make sure you make. Here they are. Here's the list. This is just from my phone. Let me ask you, what if you just miss one turn? Will you arrive at your destination? I mean, let's just say uh, you don't merge on the 405. Whoops. And you just keep going. Are you going to end up at, at Orange County Airport? No. Well, that doesn't sound fair. You're seven for eight. <laughs> I mean, by any standard, that's, that's an A. Well, the problem is this is not a test on paper. This is directions in real life. And if you miss one turn, you're not getting to your intended destination. You're going to have to do some backtracking to get to your destination. And the reason I say this is because many people view God's Word kind of like an idea grab bag. You know, there, there's a big bag here, and, and, and in it are all of the words and the verses and the ideas that are contained in God's Word. And so you, you kind of reach down in the grab bag, and you pull out an idea, and it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, that's helpful. I'm going to do that idea. And then next time you go back in and you pull another idea, it's like, what? I don't like that idea. In fact, I don't agree with that idea. Or if I were to do that idea, it would really cost me, and, and it would make all kinds of problems, and people would be really upset with me. So let's just put that idea back in the bag. And I'll, oh, okay. That's a good one. I'll do that one. The problem is that directions are not that way. GPS isn't just a grab bag of directions. You have to be thorough or you'll be lost. And this is the way it is with God's Word. Some of it will fit with our sense of direction. In other words, it's going to resonate with our heart. Ah, that's, yeah, that's right. That's really helpful. Others, other ideas in God's Word will not resonate with our heart at all. But they must all be followed if God's going to really direct your life. If God's not going to direct your life and it's really your heart, then the Bible is just, you know, it's just supplemental ideas to help you. But, but if it really is what we navigate life by, then then we do everything, the stuff we agree with and the stuff we don't, the stuff we like and the stuff we don't like, the stuff that's going to really cost us and the stuff that's not. We do it all. But what if you're maybe 0 for 8, not 7 for 8, when it comes to God's directions? You, know, you, you really haven't ever directed your life by God's word, and therefore, well, you're, you're stuck in some situation. You're in some ditch somewhere, or you're in some jungle without any roads anywhere. Well, that's one of the amazing things I've found about God's Word, and I've seen in my life and the lives of other people. No matter how tangled up your life is, no matter how messed up situations are, from wherever you are, however deep in the jungle of mess you are, if you take out God's Word and you grab and you do that, and then you do that, and then you do that, and then you do the next one, 
Step by step, God will guide you into a much better future than the one that you could have ever guided yourself into. But you're going to have to trust navigating by something bigger than you. You have to be careful to do everything. And when you don't do something, and we all don't do something, then that's the time to confess that we didn't do it and do it. Get back on track. But you may think, well, this is a big book. Where do I start? How do I get some directions for today? Well, first you have to understand, you don't have to read the whole book or understand everything in the book to start moving. You know, my wife and I had never been to Tyler, Texas. We've been close, but we'd never been to Tyler, Texas. So we didn't know how to get to this hospital. But in order to get to this hospital, I didn't need to memorize a map of the entire world. I just need to get my phone out and get directions from the hotel to the hospital. It's the same kind of thing with the Bible. You don't, you don't need to know everything in there to get directions. You just need directions from God today, God today, not for your entire life, just today. So how, again, how are you going to find directions for today in a book that's as big as the Bible? You know, it may seem like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. Well, I'll tell you one way that you almost certainly will not get direction. That is, you just take the Bible out, and you close your eyes, and you flop it open, and you point your finger at a verse, and you try to get directions from that. Or if you're on a phone, you just kind of scroll and see what it says. That almost never works. The way God guides is for people who are moving their way through his word, who are consistent about this. Not just, oh, no, I'm in trouble. No, they've got a pattern of this. So I recommend, if you don't have a plan, I recommend that you pick a reading plan, like Rebecca was doing that day, and you just make progress every day. So I've got another app for you on this. This is app day, I guess. You may be aware of this app. This is the version app for the Bible. It's got different versions of the Bible. It's free. It's a great app. But one of the things on this app that's really helpful is there's all kinds of Bible reading plans. I mean, you can pick. If you want to read through the Bible in one year, there's a Bible reading plan. If you want to read through the Bible in three years, there's a Bible reading plan. If you want to read just through the New Testament in six months or a year, you can do that. If you want to read just through the, the story of Jesus and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in 60 days, you can do that. And there's all kinds of topics, and there's Bible reading plans related to that. I would encourage you to, if you're not using it, to, and you're looking for a reading plan, just scroll through the reading plans, pick one, and just do it. And then pick another one and do that one and just keep working your way through it. And you'll be amazed at how God gives direction. So if you're going to Cold Stone the afternoon, this afternoon, just follow your heart. We don't... Don't look to God for that one. He's going to say, hey, doesn't matter. Just follow your heart. But for most of the decisions that you and I make in life, I highly recommend that you attach the trailer hitch of your heart to the truth of God's word. So I want us to read together Joshua 1.8 while you're sitting, sitting there as we wrap up. Joshua 1.8. So read this with me, and then I'll close this in prayer. Joshua 1.8. Do not let this book of the law... Depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the truth of your word that can navigate the most complex situations we find ourselves in. And we confess that too often we have just followed our heart or what somebody else thought or what the pressure seems to push us towards rather than looking up into the fixed stars of your truth and trying to get a read on what you want us to do next. So God, I pray for those who who are stuck. They're really in a pickle. And they don't know how to get from where they are to where they would like to be. God, I pray that they would begin right now to start trusting your word more than their own heart. And that they would do the next thing that you tell them to do, no matter what the consequences are. Father, I pray that you would help us to guide by your truth. We want to live a life that is right before you. And I pray for those that are facing a situation like Hezekiah, where we've tried to be faithful and hard things are coming. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk with you and trust you. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.